Uh, but I love you guys. If anyone in here um, feels like maybe they're struggling with the concept of being present or maybe you're struggling with the concept of just expecting or believing that God can do something big right now in this moment, today, throughout your week or this month, I think this message really is for you. Um, for those of you who have been with us, uh, which is almost everyone in the room, uh, we've been going through a series that we have finished, and that series has been called Identified, not really, I called it I Am Who He Says I Am, but it was about identity. And the next week we're going to be starting a new series just called Supernatural, and I think this message today really came to my heart as kind of like a bridge between the two. Um, I'm still building off of this concept of being identified, of knowing who I am before God, that if there really is a God of heaven and earth, if there really is a God who made us, who formed us, who knows all things and has a plan, and then when he calls us something or says this is what you are, you become that by definition of who he is. Amen? And so if the creator of all things says, you're my son, you can run as far as you want, but you'll still be a son to him. And if the creator of the heavens and earth says, I see you as a friend, you can act wrong and slap him in the face and do your thing, but he's still going to see you as a friend because our God doesn't change. He never fails. He never gives up on us. We wrote a song about that at one point, and we love to sing it. But the concept is you can change all day, but God never will. And so therefore, how he views you will never change. Which, by the way, is why I stand firm on once you come into salvation, you cannot lose it. Right? Because God doesn't change just because you did. And once you are saved, you weren't saved by your own merits, your own goodness, your own sin, just because you decide his merits and his goodness. Right? And so that just because you ran away, just because you fell into sin, just because you decided that God wasn't enough for you for a season, doesn't mean he didn't look at you and sustain you through that time anyway. And if any of you are in that season right now, he is still sustaining you, no matter how far you've ran, and no matter how much you've kicked, and no matter how much you've screamed, because love doesn't change even when we're faithless he is still faithful because he cannot change who he is amen and so just kind of with that thought in mind uh that this month has been crazy um for me personally but i would say this week has been crazy for the kingdom of god um i've seen a lot of things that really weren't the best going on in the kingdom. And I think the thing that really stands out the most to me, uh, when I first found Jesus, uh, by the way, I was kind of coming into this week with a, a, whole, a wholly different message in mind. But after certain things happened, I looked and I'm like, this is something we have to talk about. Um, and so I, I hope we laugh. I hope we giggle. I hope we have a good time today. Uh, but more, more than any of that, my intention is to get real. And my intention is to really address something uh, that's going on. Because when I first came to Jesus, I struggled with depression. And when I first came to Jesus, I didn't feel like I amounted to anything. I, I, I dealt with anxiety. Honestly, sometimes I still deal with anxiety. Um, and these things were threatening to consume me. And there was a pastor and there was a man uh, who I really looked to because he founded a ministry that spoke to me exactly where I was at. And he was a man who preached, it's okay to be depressed and be a Christian I'm here for you. Here's a message, Siri. Here's a talk. Let, let, me, let me go into the Bible, and you can see people who wanted to give up, but God was there for them, and people who were depressed, but God showed up anyway. And he began to preach, and the way he talked and the ministry he started, it gave me hope. And then I saw he posted a tweet saying, um, a member of our community died by suicide. I'm doing their funeral. Pray for me. 
And then less than 24 hours after tweeting that tweet, he himself committed suicide. And I went through weird emotions after I read that because when I was depressed, his message series gave me hope. And I was unrealistically angry at him. How dare you? I, I felt those feelings and I was anxious and knotted up and I had to go before God and pray because I knew I was wrong to feel that way, but I felt that way anyway. And that's something that he taught me that it was okay to face your feelings and have your struggles. And I was so unbelievably angry. And then I went through my own unbelievable time of just sadness of like, man, but Jesus is enough. How do we get to this point? And I began to pray, and God began to talk. And um, I think we're standing on a generation that has done something really, really well. And the one thing that we've done really, really well is this particular generation of, hey, church, I just mean in America, the particular generation rising up has been a generation of, hey, we're depressed. And before, people couldn't talk about that. Before, people couldn't talk about anxiety. How you doing today? Blessed and highly favored because I can't talk about how I'm really feeling. And a generation not in the church, outside of the church began to go, hey, yo, ADHD's a real thing. Hey, depression's a real thing. Hey, suicide and suicidal thoughts are a real thing. And suddenly what began to happen is people began to talk about it, which is beautiful. But what I'm beginning to see is now we're going too far into the talking about it. And it's getting to the point to where you have to accept that this is my flaw. But no, no, suicide, depression, anxiety, that's not who you are. And in, in the place of talking about it, we've began to identify with it. And that's a problem as well. And so I want to take us back to the middle where we admit this is what I'm struggling with, but this is not who I am, right? And, and so the problem is when I see these people and I see that they've committed suicide, that, they, that they've fallen into depression or been taken by something, and I see they don't know God, honestly, I look at that, and I'm like, that makes sense. But when a Christian does it, my brain can't fathom it. It can't understand it because there has been goodness I've tasted. And when I wanted to quit, it was that goodness that brought me through that season. It wasn't people. It was nothing but prayer and a presence and a person. And that person was Jesus. And it was Jesus that sustained me. And not to say that if I'm not the person that says if you commit suicide, you don't know God. Because I've had bad moments where I've fallen into bad sins and God still took me in any way. So you won't hear me preach today that if someone lost the battle of suicide, that they're in hell automatically. Uh, but I still think we should talk about it because there was still something that was disconnected. And I think anxiety is more common than we realize. And, and, and I think anxiety takes the form of apathy a lot. And, and the reason why I think that is because I, and you go, you either your Facebook feed and you see there was another shooting, and you go, you either like or you share it and you comment, and then you keep scrolling, and it doesn't really affect your day. Do you remember the first time you read about that kind of stuff or heard about it, and you actually got nodded up about it? You actually cried and you were actually worried about it? 
And we've gotten such an overindulgence of truth and information that we've been desensitized to the information. And I think many people in this room have walked in anxiety for so long that your reaction has become, you've been so full of anxiety that now you're apathetic to the thing that once brought you worry because it's a natural defense mechanism to what I'm going through. I can either get overwhelmed by the pain or pretend the pain didn't happen, but either way, anxiety is anxiety. And, and not to be sexist and not to be pointing out the genders, but typically anxiety is seen in females because they're more emotional. And typically apathy is seen in males because we're not allowed to feel feelings. And so we respond in different ways, although that doesn't necessarily mean, I think I know some ladies in this room who would be apathetic instead of emotional. And I know some of the men in this room, like yours truly, that would get really full of anxiety rather than, because I grew up with my mom, not my dad. And so we just cried together, right? And that was our thing. And so I'm like one of the more emotional guys. And so when I got to preach about like that kind of man stuff, I'll just call Thomas or like Eric Willis and be like, dude, do a transition. And then I'm like, because someone's got to talk to these people because I don't know how to do it. Um, but, but I, I think they're both rooted in the same kind of thing. And, and today we're talking on a present expectation. Um, this present expectation. This one right here in this room. And, and if you have anxiety or apathy, you can't be present. Because anxiety takes you out of the moment you're in to think about the possibilities of later moments. So you can't be present while you're worried. You can't. But same with an expectation. The concept of anxiety is this might happen. So I'm not expecting God to move. I'm expecting something bad. That is the definite. That, that's, that's the same thing. That's where depression and anxiety, these things, they find their roots. In a lack of being present, a lack of realization of what we have around us, and a lack of believing that God is as good as he says he is. Now, keep in mind that today I'm talking to Christians, and this conversation would go different if I was in a group of people that didn't know God. But I'm going to talk from the perspective that we in this room know God. And so some of us might want to object to some of the ways I'm defining things. And I want to tell you the way I'm defining things are biblical, not worldly. And if you want to object to the definitions, it's seeing things through a lens, shout out to last week, that isn't the gospel. And if at any point you feel that, I would recommend just for one moment, go, hey, God, help me see things the way you've called me to see them. And help me to view things the way you've called me to view them. Because American Christianity is sometimes not the way to do things. American morals and views are sometimes not the way to see things. Because in any other country in the world, pretty much, when they read the word prosperity... They're going to look and be like, because God is my answer. But then in most American churches, when we read the word prosperity, we mean a 401k, three and a half bathroom, two and a half kids, a white picket fence, and a golden retriever. And man, Paul didn't have that. Peter didn't have that. David didn't have that. Solomon had that. I mean, I'm not saying that the blessing doesn't always look like that, but I'm saying it's never the promise. Amen. And I want us to start seeing things, not even through the lens of, look, I, I want to be really careful. And at no point in this conversation do I want to undermine depression and say you shouldn't feel those feelings. Because, again, I think we should talk about them. But I think now we're going this way too far. 
And let's ring it back a little bit and say, yes, this is a real thing. But if you identify with it, you actually, and this isn't like a good thing to say to someone dealing with it, but if you identify as a person with anxiety, that in and of itself is its own kind of sin. Because you're defining yourself in a way that God hasn't. But again, if you feel that way, you can't just write it off. And we do have to face those feelings. I'm really sick of the movement where someone says, oh, I have a cold. And someone's like, don't speak that death over yourself. And it's like, no, I I have a cold. Like, can someone pray for me up in this place? I'm not speaking death over myself. I'm in the moment and I have to sniffles. Someone help me out. And so the same thing goes, man, I'm really suffering with anxiety. Don't say you suffer with anxiety. That's the demon in you. No, I suffer with that. Pray for me. Speak life over me. But quit telling me that I'm putting that on myself. I'm trying to tell you where I'm at. Will you be here? with me amen so let's talk about it and let's see what Jesus had to say about it real quick so we're going to go to Luke chapter something oh was it 10 or 12 12 they had shout out to the tech team Uh, so Luke chapter 12 and we're going to read about what Jesus has to say on this topic because many of you probably know this section of scripture y'all I typed in the power of being present or how to live in the moment. And one of the first things that popped up was a particular person in politics who I happen to know isn't a Christian. This section of scripture out of the Bible and trying to apply it to a practical audience. Because this section, this section of scripture, even to people who don't believe in God, look at it and see wisdom in it. There's something powerful in this section of scripture. And even people who don't want to accept Jesus recognize he's teaching something so good here that we're going to take it in and and so with this movement and with this church and with the boulevard and with God is doing um, I think God is calling us to expect big things and I think he's calling us to be present together present mentally in one in unison right And, and I can't tell you how many times I've been here but I haven't been here. Amen. And so, and he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? In modern times, people try to, I don't care your opinion on evolution. I, I think I know plenty of hardcore Christians that believe in it, plenty that don't, not really a particular moment. But when you take that theory and say, so now we're equal to animals, you're losing an important principle where God cares about us more than that. Amen. And I think that God, it's also saying that he cares about those things. And he cares about everything he's created. So he cares about the birds and the bees. <laughs> Okay, and he cares about the, <laughs> and so he cares about, I don't know, that just, it just happened. He cares about the, uh, the rivers and the waters and the atmosphere, and he cares about the other planets outside of this, even this solar system. Whatever's going on outside of everything, he cares about all of that too, but we're more important to him than that. It doesn't give us license to destroy those things, But it does give us license to look and recognize that I, before God, am more important than that. And so if God is going to sustain that, then he'll definitely sustain me. And which of you being anxious can add a single hour 
to his span of life. Modern science would actually tell you that anxiety actually takes life away from us. If then you are not able to do something as small as that, if you can't even add an hour to your life, because you can't. Every man has a time they've been appointed to die. Women too. But the verse just says man. Um, mankind as a whole. Yeah, exactly. If then you are not able to... Oh, what is the question we're asking today, right? About the rest. Which is the question we're asking today, right? Why are we so anxious? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Have you ever seen the strip at night and how beautiful it is? Then have you seen a sunrise and seen that it's much more beautiful? That man still to this day hasn't created something more beautiful than just a sunrise? That Solomon in all of his glory couldn't look as beautiful as even the flowers in the field. And so the strip at night is not more beautiful than when you go out to a lake bed at night and turn your lights off and just look up into the stars. Because nothing we can do will ever be as beautiful as what he does. Amen? And so when that guy says, you're more important to me than those things, that guy will, will take everything we can do on our own, could possibly look like Solomon, and all the beauty, but everything that God can do for us will even upgrade above what Solomon could do because everything God made is just more beautiful than that. Amen? But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? There are bugs that live like six hours and then die. And God still loves them and has a plan for them. He still uses them to make this world a better place, even if we think they're icky. Most bugs have a purpose. The only thing that doesn't have purpose in all of the animal kingdom is cats. You can disagree. Oh, actually, and wasps. Like, legit, they're just jerks. That's it. That's all they do. They're just jerks. And we just got to live with that. Wasps and cats. Satan made two things. And that's just... What was I talking about? Okay, no, I was kidding. Um... But, but So he made these things six hours of life, and he cares about each minute and each second. So how much more important are you? Because there's a great debate. Well, when an animal dies, does it go to heaven? There's no biblical reason to think so. But if it makes you feel better to think Scruffy's waiting for you in heaven, wait for Scruffy. You're going to go to heaven and be satisfied whether he's there or not. So enjoy. Scruffy's up there. Cool. Awesome. I'm, I'm with you. Go for it. Wait for Scruffy. I just don't think he's there. Um, which is sad because I have two turtles that I love like unreasonably. I don't know why. It's going to be swimming in it. They're going to be there in heaven swimming in the stream of life of living water. It's going to be swimming in it. There probably won't be. But like I believe that Stefan and Templeton will be waiting there. Well, actually, odds are... They're going to live like 50 years, and we might be dead by then, so we'll be waiting for them. And, um, but out of all of that stuff, you're eternal. They're not. And if he cares for their six hours, he's going to care for you on a deeper level from here on to eternity. 
I misspoke. Eternal is when you're infinite both ways. Right? So we're that forever concept. Forever is from here forward. Everlasting. We're not eternal, but we're everlasting. We had a moment of conception, or we began, but we don't have a moment of ending for those of us who are in God. Amen? And he's going to care for you for the whole time. And he's walking with us for our roughly 80 years so he can spend an eternity in, the pre- in, in his presence with him and care for us for the rest of that time. Amen? You matter, and you're important. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink nor be worried. Easier said than done. Who does this guy think he is, right? For all the na- yeah, wait, God? Okay. For all the nations of the world, seek after these things, and your father knows. He knows that you need them. See, all the nations, when we're worrying about what we're going to eat tomorrow, God would be like, that's what, that's what people who aren't my children think about. That's not what you think about. Christians are called to live from the perspective that God will provide. But the problem is when anxiety creeps in, we we lost that perspective. And when depression sinks in, we've lost that perspective. And we will want to end it all because we're done. It's because we lost that perspective. And again, there's no condemnation for feeling that way. But there is a road back and there's a road out of that thought process. There's a promise in scripture for that. And you're not less Christian for feeling that way. Because Christian means Christ-like, and you're made in the image of God through his righteousness, not your own. And Christ will always be Christ-like. So you get to always be that way too. Amen? Um, For all the nations of the world. Oh, next verse. We're already there. Uh, Instead, seek his kingdom, right? How many? Seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added unto you. See, we quote that verse, and I usually see it on like a when you tithe, seek first the kingdom. But what's he talking about? He's talking about an anxiety, an anxiety type worry of what's going to come tomorrow. And he's saying, no, you don't have to. Seek first the kingdom and everything you're going to need tomorrow's issues. When we say, God, give me faith, he's going to give us enough faith tomorrow to handle tomorrow's issues. Amen? So quit thinking about tomorrow because there's going to be an answer then. Be present and here today and deal with what's right in front of you and deal with the answers he's giving you now. Amen. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure. Come on, y'all. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. It's his pleasure to give it to you. You don't have to seek hard. By seeking, he's mean, just come take it out of my hand. It's yours. Sell your possessions. Uh Uh-oh. I don't like where this is going. And give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Y'all, we could do a tithe message right now. We won't, though. Amelia's was killer. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Right? Now, he's describing what seeking first the kingdom looks like. It's this moment doesn't matter in the face of eternity it does matter just not from the perspective of eternity if someone walked up to you and said hey i have the power right now if you can go where you can go through extreme pain for one month but for the rest of your life after that day onward you'll never feel pain again you'll never feel hurt you'll never feel depression 
That's a no-brainer, right? It's a no-brainer. Right, so in, then when 40 years later, when you're living in this reality where you're not hurting, where there's no brokenness, no breakthrough, that month seems so small. It seems so unimportant. And it was like it was so worth going through that for the rest of the life I've lived now. And, and Jesus is doing the same thing. He says, sometimes we take a little bit less to put him first right now. But what is that? And think that was nothing compared to the beauty that I'm experiencing right now. But what is that? That's called expectation. And it's real hard to sacrifice in the present if you have no expectation for the future. My wife is pregnant. No, no one knew. And just, we didn't know. Um, and she, like, like right now, her feet are huge. It's crazy. Because she was on her feet all day, and so they're all swollen. And, like, she'll randomly do something. She'll talk to me, and she's like, oh, I'm experiencing this pain. I've never felt it before. And she's talking like, they're, they're, I, pregnancy freaks me out because, like, your body gets jacked up. Just, you you. You go, you blow up like a balloon, you're throwing up, you're in pain, and then what's the beauty of it at the end? You get to like blow up some more. And like, I'm just thinking about that stuff, and I'm like, I personally would never have a kid if I, like, if it was like, yeah, like, oh, God's like, yeah, you guys are like seahorses now, and the guys have the kids. I'm like, wow, God called me to be celibate. It's a calling on my life. Amen. I just, I don't have it in me to go through that, right? Um, but yet she's going through it, and she's experiencing it. And at the end of the night when she's putting her hand on her belly and the baby's kicking and she's crying, it's like the pain of the day was worth it for something that's not even here yet. It's an expectation that when she's going through those moments and like, you know, I'm a guy, so I'm just like, oh, babe, I, I love you. You're going to make it through it because I don't know. Right? I I have no idea. Like, not even kind of. Like, I've never had my feet so swollen that it was noticeable. You know? And I've never, and then she's just like, oh, and then last night she's putting her feet up. She's like, my feet hurt so much. And then we're just talking about our child. And I'm like, man, I'd be like, this thing sucks. I hate this guy. Look at my feet. And she's like, oh, it's so beautiful. And so she's experiencing something. She, She's weathering pain in the present because of a deep expectation of the future. And that's how God calls us to be with our finances, with our worries, with our doubts, when that relationship didn't work out, when that job got dropped, when I have to get off of things, when I have to decide that this person is more important than me, when I'm hungry, but you know what? They need food. When I have to make expect something beautiful to come. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think that verse encapsulates why anxiety happens. Because truthfully for many of us, our treasure is something here. It's my bank account. It's my house. It's that job I want. It's my career. It's my happiness. It's my peace. And again, when you look at someone who's like, I'm struggling with depression, the answer is to look at them and say, well, the problem is that you're selfish. That doesn't help anyone. Honestly, that, that turns into a fight. 
But when I was going through my own depressions, I did have to come face to face with the fact that most of it was I was a little too worried about me and not worried enough about the other people around me. I'm not calling you selfish. Don't hear me wrong. But I am saying there is a perspective where whatever you're going through has covered you so much that you can see nothing but that. And I'm telling you that if you anchor to something not present, there will always be a light that will shine through. But you got to sometimes push through some crap to get to it. And sometimes you got to shove and kick things to the side. But listen, once you're hooked to it, you're hooked to it. And we have to start being present from an eternal perspective. I'm not saying being present from the sense of, yeah, I'm here. I'm saying being present with an expectation. It will change your perspective. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And last verse. That was the last verse. Uh, And so I'm going to pray real quick. And for the next, um, I'm going to guess... 14 minutes. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so we're just gonna we're gonna end the message after uh, I'm done. Uh, dear Lord in heaven, I pray for everyone in this room right now, God. I pray for a message like this, God, that there would be breakthrough, there would be freedom, God, that we would have the faith to trust you, God. And God, I come against any type of mental pushback, Father God, a way of I don't want to hear this, I don't want to receive this, God, that no one would feel condemned, no one would feel misunderstood, Father God, but we would look to you and recognize. You are the answer for everything we're going through, God. And God, I pray for the hearts in this room that are broken, that are shattered, that are apathetic, that have been so hurt that they've closed off, God. And I pray for tenderness and expectation, Lord. And in Jesus' name I say, amen. Um, I have a, an issue sometimes. And, and I know a lot of you have it because, like, game recognizes game. And sometimes I'll see someone talking or I'm talking to and I'm like, they're doing that thing that I always do. Um, I'll use my wife as an example uh, because it's just funny when I do that. Um, and, and, and here's how the story goes. And she starts telling you, will look at me and she will start talking to me. Baby, I need to tell you about something. Okay, awesome. And she starts telling me, okay, we got to do this and we got to make sure the house is clean because we got the cousins coming into town. And like I'm listening and she's going and I'm listening and she's talking, and it's, I can tell it's so important to her. I want to be in the conversation, and then eventually I slip into Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. And I'm looking, sometimes in the eyes, and I'm nodding along. Right? And I'm using my wife because she'll get less offended, but like I do it to like everyone here. And mo- by the way, a lot of y'all do it to me too. And so like again, game wrecking. I'm like looking, I'm like, me too. And, uh, and then we're just standing there. I think that's why cell phones go so popular. Everyone's like on their phones. Like it's the same concept, except now I have something to distract myself with. Uh, but it's still, I'm looking and she's I'm like, I, the hands are moving and like pointing at stuff and like make sure this is clean. And I'm like, no, 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 no. But, you know, you're just like hearing them and it's just like, oh no. And then like, I'm trying to focus. Like, have you ever talked? Someone said, let me tell you something at the end of the conversation, you shake your head and you're like, can you say all that again? I didn't hear a word you just said to me. Can we, can, like, can we be honest and say that like, it's like a real thing we all go through all the time? So my wife, right, she's just going, wah, 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 wah. And I'm like sitting there, I'm like, okay. Man, I am so excited for later today. I'm going to watch. What am I going to watch? Hmm. I guess I could read my book. 
you know what? No, what am I going to eat, actually? Okay, wait. So we got frozen pizza in the fridge. Oh, but man, I don't want to get fat. I'm getting fat. I need to think. Maybe something a little healthier. How long does it take to cook that chicken breast? An hour and a half. Yeah, so the frozen pizza, three-minute timer. So now that we're sold on the pizza, what are we going to do when we're eating the pizza? And she's, like, telling me what I should be doing today. And I'm like, probably watch TV. I haven't finished How I Met Your Mother yet. I think I want to finish that show. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Or, or maybe that anime I wanted to check out. I'm like, and then wah, 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 wah. And then eventually there's a tonal shift. Wah, wah, wah. Oh, crap. <laughs> That was a question. All right. Okay, wait a second. What are we talking about? The cousins are in town. Yeah. Okay. She's looking me in the eyes. And I'm like, okay, wait a sec. I can do this. How do we do this? I heard great advice one time from someone who was talking about this. Like, say something neutral. Say something neutral. Okay, say something neutral. Man, babe. Whatever you want. So you will clean the kitchen. Oh, okay, wait a second. I'm back now. I'm in. I'm in it fully. Why? Because now it's about me again, right? And now, now it's not about your cousin. It's about me. Oh, see, I can't clean the kitchen uh, because I have to write my sermon. And uh, so God, you wouldn't want to get in the way of what God is doing, right? And so it's like, then the conversation shifts. We've got to put God first, baby. And it's like, see, and it's like, but I wasn't doing, like, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. Imagine if I was praying and God was like, wah, 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 wah. And so I'm definitely not loving her like he's loving me, but be like, baby, we got to, we got to really, I've got to say, if you clean the kitchen, I'll go pray. And God's really just going to move in this place today, right? And so like, I got stuck in that conversation and it's just like, I so hard to, to be present Y'all, we watched It Part 2. Pastors, are they allowed to watch It Part 2? I don't think they are, but I watched it. And, um... And I guess I'll, someone pray for me, I guess, cast the demon off. Um, and, and so we're watching It Part 2, and, and, and the movie's going, and it is just like... Everywhere. There's a clown, which is crazy, and then there's, like, monsters, and, like, this, at one point the clown turns into a giant spider, and there's, like, bright lights, and, like, there's, like, legit laser beams, and, like, people are, like, falling in water, and they're coming up, and they're in a different place, and it's like, what just happened? And there's a part where these two characters are holding hands, they both fly in a different direction, and then one, like, lands in, like, a bathroom stall when they're in a cave, and you're like, what the heck? And the other one, like, lands in this hole, and you're like, how did we get here? And I'm watching just this, this, just CGI, and it's just big, and it's just awesome and I looked at Thomas and I'm like dude I'm so bored and it's like how do we get to a place where all of that is a giant spider shooting laser beams out of his mouth with these three bright lights and I'm like I am so bored and right so it's like presentness isn't just so right we get so overwhelmed by these things going on that we get apathetic and they're not good enough for us anymore and then on the other note where we get into conversations where we can't be present with people because we're thinking about typically us this conversation doesn't add to me at all but maybe it could add to them and if you actually go into the definition of anxiety Typically, the reason why we have a hard time being present is literally what anxiety is. I'm worried about something coming up later. 
I'm thinking about what I'm going to do, how I'm going to handle this situation. Or my personal favorite is when I disagree with someone, they're talking to me, and then while I'm not listening to them, I'm having an imaginary argument with them in my head, and there's a bunch of witnesses, and I'm winning the argument. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, yeah, and then everyone's like, whoa, and I was like, yeah, I won that argument. Anyway, what was he saying again? And it's like, now I can't even have the conversation. Oh, we're in the middle of worship, and like people are going, yeah, and then in your head, you're on the stage, and you're rocking out, and you're like, Jesus, be glorified, be lifted high. And everyone's like, wow, he's such a good singer. And it's like, how did I get to this place where I made worship about me? Actually, the definition of anxiety would meet that and call it anxiety. Because I'm so wrapped in that I want a type of attention. Or I just want to be good at something. And I want to be recognized as someone who can actually do something worthwhile. I want to read the definition of anxiety, actually. Um, A feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Anxiety. Definition. The other definition is, I think, the one that we wouldn't perceive as anxiety, and that is a desire to do something, typically accompanied with distraction or by being distracted. That was, that's how Webster's Dictionary has a definition of anxiety. I want to do something, and it's distracting me from being here. And see, that kind of hits close to home because I think that's normal. And so we've gotten to the place where anxiety is a regular part of life for most people. And, and what I find super interesting about that, it, it reminds me of my father. My father, at one point in his life, he's talked about this publicly, he had a hormone imbalance. Right, And I think I've told this story before, but I find it so important. He didn't even know that he had a hormone imbalance until he went to the doctor, and the doctor told him, you have a hormone imbalance. Your body's actually in a constant state of pain right now. And what he said was, I didn't even realize. He had gotten so used to the pain of his body being out of whack that it got to the place where he didn't even notice the pain anymore. And once they started getting the hormones back in line, he would talk to us about how he was feeling uneasy, He felt like something was wrong inside of him. And the doctor's like, yeah, that's actually your body getting used to the way things are supposed to be. And so he'd gotten so wrapped up in a pain in his body that being healthy didn't feel right. And and I think the same thing, we we can get so wrapped up in anxiety. Anxiety has become such a regular part of life that I think, I perceive that as we try to come out of this concept of distraction, of apathy, of depression, of anxiety, it can feel like this is impossible. This doesn't feel right. There's no way this is the way things are supposed to be. And I suspect that's why people eventually get to the place where they just identify with it. I just struggle with anxiety. That's just something I am. I was just born this way. Y'all, I was born with ADHD. They said I should be put on medication. They said I should, because I'll never be able to focus unless I'm on medication. And what happened is I found God and I started praying and I used to not be able to pray right they call it ADHD prayer me and Isaac were just laughing about it this morning it's like dear Lord in heaven I really hope that someday you okay wait I want pizza immediately I'll be right back God and like and then you come back you know like you ever seen up it's like yeah anyway squirrel right it's like I I was I have that and people the, the doctor would be like yeah you need to be on medication your whole life I know people in this room who ended up at one point with Jesus just flushing that kind of medication by the way if you're on it I don't think you're in fault or you're in any kind of sin Uh, because it did take a process for me. Uh, But now when I sit in my sacred place, I can sit for four or five hours with no struggles, with just staying in the place of God. 
And if I had spent my life letting people tell me that's just the way you are, it's okay that you're this way, which it is okay. And so I got to a place, you know, you, there's no, you don't have to overcome it, but we do have to overcome it, right? And so I got to a place where everything people said, oh, this will be a part of your life. It's not really a part of my life. I'm still kind of an up in the clouds kind of person, but not when it, I need to be present. I can actually be present. And same with when I got into my addictive drugs and I was on the heroin and meth and I was struggling with those kind of things. What they would always tell me is, once you're addicted, you'll always be addicted. I don't feel those addictions anymore. But I know people that have been free longer than me that still say they struggle with addiction. And I think it's because they bought the lie that they'll always be addicted. I'm saying you're addicted now, but there is freedom and there is a way out. I'm saying you may have apathy now, but there is freedom and there is a way out. The thing about any type of addiction is that eventually becomes so a part of your life, you can't see your life without it. And when I got off of drugs, I had to go through a season of detoxing, where it was basically like having the stomach flu for two weeks straight, right? And that was uncomfortable. And I think when I look at anxiety or depression, I do think there's a mental detox that has to happen, and that time is terrible. And only God is going to pull us through those kind of seasons. But we have to get to the place where we don't say this is just who I am. Or we acknowledge, you know what? I actually want to be free of this. And I'm going to take the steps I need to take. God be my strength. I don't want this anymore. And uh, secretly, a lot of my struggles in my life, I wanted them. I just couldn't admit that I did. I loved telling people about my past oh yeah I'm a Christian I love Jesus I still struggle with addiction but God's still good and I'm strong in spite of my addiction there was something so good about that and there's something a little less edgy about saying no I'm not addicted anymore and we have to face those times no matter how uncomfortable they are and say that freedom is here now and um Forgive me for going a little long because I still have a few ports I want to hit. And, I mean, roll over a fact that for like three weeks straight we didn't do any sermons. I'm just going to make it. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling all that time. It's roll over up in here. Um, and so I want to go through three sections of scripture where Jesus and Paul one time define anxiety from a biblical. Per- Actually, if you want to come up and play, it'll make me sound holier and it'll make me end sooner. Oh, no, he made a bad joke. Um, And so we're going to go through those three verses, and, like, I forget the order of them. So, Aaron, if you just want to put that next verse up on my little to-do list, Matthew 10, 19. When they deliver you over, do not be. Yeah, we're going to say that word together. Uh, When they deliver you over, do not be. Anxious. Anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour period. Jesus is defining anxiety as a fear of something to come. And he's saying the answer to that anxiety is to trust that God will give you the answer in that time. Which the crazy thing about that is, he's like, I'm not going to give you the peace of knowing the answer now. I'll give it to you in the moment. And so anxiety is something that takes me out of the moment to worry about the future. And if I'm worried about what I'm going to say, I'm not truly expecting God to give it to me. And so anxiety is crazy because most people would say, yeah, worrying about that, really planning how to do that, that's wisdom. But Jesus would say, no, it's distraction. No, don't, don't go prepare what you're going to say in front of the courts, in front of the judge. Just come into my presence and trust that I will give you the answer 
when the answer comes. But that requires a mental flip. It requires mentally turning around. That's the definition of repentance. And so that thing that we define as wisdom, the Bible would say actually repent that and turn around from that and think differently. Another definition of anxiety in the Bible is in Luke chapter 10, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. I'm sick of the sermons being preached that Martha, her issue was that she worked too much and that Mary's, the reason why she succeeded is because she didn't work. No, the reason why Martha was sinning was because she was anxious and troubled and she did actions out of anxiety. So the, the work wasn't the sin. It was the motivation that caused her to work. And so if she had been working from the perspective of, I just really want to bless Jesus, I guarantee you there would have been no rebuke for her. But how is he going to see me? Is he going to see that I'm a good worker? Is he going to be pleased with me? Are they going to see that I'm a good house guest, that I am hospitable, that I'm worthy of recognition and honor? Martha, you're too troubled. So anxiety can motivate us. And people say this all the time, but it's something Christians really need to internalize. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason is still the wrong thing. Amen? Man, why do you serve? Those of you who serve, is it because you're afraid God will be mad at you if you don't? Take a break. Quit serving for a season. And get to the place where you trust that God loves you either way. Amen? And, and so her anxiety was causing her action. And Martha, Mary lost her anxiety and found a different way of living her life. Because the odds are that she was a prostitute. And she lost that anxiety and went and laid at the foot of, of her Christ. <sighs> Check your motives. Because I can't. The Bible says, do not judge the motives of another man. It's not my place to say, you're serving for the wrong reason, sit down. It's your place to go, man, I'm doing this for the wrong reason. The other day, I went into my secret place in the morning, and I wasn't feeling it. And I got on my knees, and here was my prayer. God, I know I'm here for all the wrong reasons. Truthfully, and this is a very recent prayer, kind of embarrassingly recent. Truthfully, I don't want to be here, and I don't care to be here. Help me. The first step really is admitting it. And here's what you're going to find when you admit your sins to God. You're going to find he doesn't care. And he loves you anyway. Just like the story of the prodigal son. When he runs to his father. And he, he tries to go, I know I've sinned before you. And he just cuts him off. And he goes, put on the ring. Give him the robe. He's in. Right? But we do that. We go to prayer thinking, God's mad. God's so mad at me. I mean, I go, okay, I'm going to do. I'm, how many times I didn't go pray? Because I was like, man, I sinned too much today. That's the opposite of the gospel, right? You got to repent of that lifestyle. You got to repent of that mindset. Okay, wait a second. I'm being dumb. Okay, I'm going into the secret place. Because I won't overcome my sin without him. So why do I think that I'm going to overcome it enough tomorrow to come face him tomorrow? I won't. I've got to face him today so he can make me strong enough to maybe not fall into that tomorrow. Amen? And our third definition of anxiety and our last one would be do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your, pres- let your requests be made known to God. So what is he saying? Don't be anxious. Instead, pray. Anxiety takes us away to our problem. Because what does anxiety do? It causes us to look away from God and look to our problems. And then we can't pray anymore. How many prayers have I prayed from the perspective that this issue was too big even for God? And I don't realize I prayed it that way. But my prayer was from a place of the shadow of this issue versus the shadow of my God. And if it causes you not to look to God in prayer, it's anxiety. You got to look away from that thing. But my bill is not going to be paid. Look to God. That anxiety is doing nothing for you. Worrying about paying your bill is not going to make money show up. And the fact that you're so worried about that bill doesn't make God any more or less inclined to bring you the breakthrough. If it was going to come, it's going to come. If it wasn't, it wasn't. So you might as well look this way. But that's the concept of anxiety. I'm looking at all of the same things. And and the answer and the breakthrough will, will be the same regardless. And so I'm worrying and I'm worrying. And Jesus himself said, is it going to add an hour to your life? No. And he's like, and if you can't do something so small, is worrying about that financial breakthrough going to bring the finances? No. So if you can't do something that small, you might as well just look to me anyway. Easier said than done. But it still needs to be done. Amen. And I would say that if we look back over... Luke chapter 12, Jesus gave us three really solid answers to our anxiety. Three really solid answers to our anxiety. And so I want to read through Luke chapter 12 from the beginning again, very quickly, famous last words. And I want to end with not the anxiety and the depression being something that I have to deal with for the rest of my life. But letting anxiety and depression being a thing that maybe I'm in it right now, but there is an answer. And there can actually be freedom today. There can actually be freedom in this place now. And there are many of people who come and get that freedom, and then a week, two weeks, three weeks later, they're back in it. Why? Because we don't want to go through the pain of living without it. Because honestly, my anxiety is sometimes a crutch. And it's something that I'm comfortable looking at because I've always looked at it. No one likes change, even if it's for the better. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? Listen to me. When I'm in the place of anxiety and depression, I've stopped believing a simple truth. I'm valuable. Do you know that you're valuable? No, no, I don't care if you know it. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you're valuable before God? Do you really look at nature and how no matter what even mankind does to it, it still just keeps on working and just keeps on going because God is providing and taking care of it. And that means he'll do the exact same thing for me. I need to stop worrying about my finances because I'm valuable. And because I'm valuable, when something is valuable, you'll spend any amount on it. 
And so God sees us as valuable. And so he'll give us the things we need to give us the peace and the breakthrough that we need in us. And so he gave us Jesus and he bought us at a high price because he saw us as valuable. And once he sees the value in us, that blood of Jesus wasn't enough for that moment. It wasn't just for that moment. It was for the rest of my life. And if I'll give up my son for you, I'll pay for your house. And if I'll give up my son for you, I'll bring you peace. And if I would give up my son for you, I would hold you while you're crying. And if I would give up my son for you, I would guide you. Because no one would give up a son without the intention of inheriting another. And he gave up Christ and inherited us, right? He, he paid that price. It's because you're valuable. I've said it before, agape. The word agape, which lost Christians say, oh, that's, that's the love of God. Uh, that's not what that word means, though it is the love of God. It means love that gives worth. And so because God loves you, you're worth something. You're not worth something, so he loved you. His love was the precursor to your value. Not the other way around. Your value didn't make him love you. His love made you valuable. And so that means definitionally, by God, you are valuable. My belief on my value means nothing compared to how valuable I actually am. And I have ran from God, and he has met me when I didn't deserve it. I tell the story all the time. This is a very real one in my life. I was praying, and I was mad, and I was angry at God. I didn't feel like I deserved where I was at, which is a weird thing to be angry about, but I was pissed. Can preachers say that? Um, I was so mad, and I did something that I tell people all the time. I don't recommend it, but I did it. I got so mad, I grabbed my Bible, and I flung it as hard as I could across the room. I was done. I said, God, I don't deserve where I'm at. This is actually the, the thing I said, God, I don't deserve where I'm at, and so I think you'll take it from me at some point anyway. And I threw it. I didn't believe I had a future. I didn't believe I was worthy. Uh, that day, that's part of the story I don't typically tell, when I was in my days of drugs, I got a kid hooked on drugs, and I'd found out the day that he had died. And I traced back knowing that was my fault to some level and some degree, and so I flung that Bible and it landed and popped open. And I remember being even more mad because I knew my answer was on that text. I knew God, he should have met me with a lightning bolt, but he met me with grace. And so I walked over to the Bible and I picked it up. And Paul says, because I felt least of the apostles, I worked harder than the rest. Not by my own will, not by my own power, but his. So by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I really felt like God was like, do you really feel like you don't deserve this? Then work. And that's why, at that point, I put my hand on the plow and pushed, and I never looked back. And I didn't, my, and I didn't keep pushing because I was afraid I was going to get in trouble. I kept pushing because when I deserved it, I was met with grace. And I've never lost that moment. 
That is my life verse. That is a moment I go back to frequently. And I say, God, every day I'm going to do this again. I'm going to push again because I know what you spoke to me. No, I still don't feel like I deserve this. And so I'm going to work even harder for it. 25-year-olds don't lead churches. That's not right. That's not what we're supposed to do. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So I'm going to put my hand on the plow and I'm going to push because for some reason he thought I was worthy. And anxiety melts away in that kind of understanding. Depression melted away in that kind of understanding. Have I had moments? 100%. But it was always because I lost track of that value. To keep going, verse 26. If you then are not able to do as small as a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. This is important. I think this is a section of scripture people miss a lot. Ready? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Think about that section of scripture. He's comparing works to the fact that God just gives it to you. And most of the reason we have anxiety, for some people it's they lost track of their value, but for other people it's because they think that they have to earn it. I want to read you a couple verses in scripture that I didn't give to them. But uh, our breakthrough is something that naturally comes to us because we have the Holy Spirit. Not because we earned it or fought for it. Are there things we should do? Yeah, 100%. But God is still ultimately the one in control about this. That's why I preached on our called and chosen thing. But I got five sections of scripture for you very quickly. I'm going to read them quick. You won't have time to write them down. Um, Proverbs 2, 8. He guards the path of the justice and he preserves the way of his saints. Psalms 143, 10. Teach me to do your will for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Psalm 51, 7. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And Romans 8, 28 to 30. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. From whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he called. Whom he called, these he justified. And whom he justified, these he also will glorify. How do you read those sections of scripture and think you have to earn your own breakthrough with God? It says he will make you in his likeness. It says teach me your ways, oh God. It says that he called you and so he will justify you and he will glorify you and he will build you up. You have to recognize by the nature of the fact that the spirit of God is within me, that very nature guarantees me that I will overcome this situation, that I will overcome this depression, that I will overcome this anxiety, that I can be present and I can expect because I'm not bringing my own breakthrough. I'm not fighting for my own breakthrough. I'm receiving a breakthrough that was already set aside for me for the foundations of the earth you don't earn it reckless love I didn't earn it I don't deserve it and still you give your love away 
Sometimes that's the answer to your struggle. God is not a man that he should lie. And when David was at his lowest, he says, God, I couldn't have made it through this if I did not believe I would see your justice on this side of eternity. And David looked and he didn't believe that his breakthrough was in some far off place. He believed he would see it here and now while he was breathing. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha when Lazarus died? And Martha runs to Jesus and she falls to his feet. And she said, if you were here, my brother would have been healed. And he gets up and she says, but I know that still he'll be resurrected in the final days. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. You're believing in some kind of far off miracle, but your miracle is right in front of you. She didn't have to go earn or deserve it because where was Mary, the one who goes to Jesus' feet? Where was she? She was crying in the corner. And Jesus said, let's go to her. Bring her to me right now. And she didn't earn that breakthrough. She didn't do the right thing. She actually did the wrong thing. But the breakthrough came anyway because God is God and he promised his breakthrough to his people. So he showed up regardless of the sin that they were in, of the mess that they were in, of of what they did yesterday and today. Listen to me. I've gone directly from doing something I shouldn't have done directly into prayer and found peace anyway. I didn't have to wait 30 minutes and come in. I didn't have to wait a day or a month or wait until I gave enough to the church or I did just the right thing or someone finally received a prayer from me. I went in anyway because one of my favorite stories I've ever told you guys comes from a pastor and he talks about his daughter and one night when he woke up and she had thrown up all over herself. And what, you guys have heard this story from me before. He didn't look at her and say, clean yourself up and then I'll pick you up. His exact words were going, no, I'm her dad and I'm bigger than that. So I picked her up and I cleaned her off. And that is the story of us with Jesus. He doesn't come to you in your mess and say, clean up and then come meet me in the secret place. No, he picks you up in your mess and he carries you into that place of breakthrough because he's your dad and he's bigger than that. Amen? And one more thing for you as we close this off. Let's keep going with the Bible verses that we were on. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. We're going to stay here. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Thing one that's going to help you be present. You don't have to worry about the future. You can be present and expect big things is because I know I'm valuable. Thing two that's going to keep me present and expecting good things from the future. I forgot the point. I just said it a second ago. It's awesome. Is that we're filled with his spirit. And that breakthrough is a natural byproduct of that. And so again, I'm valuable. And that I'm filled with the thing that's going to give me the breakthrough. You parents, have your kids ever asked you for something for Christmas and it's already wrapped in the closet? And they're asking for something that's already theirs? They just don't know it yet. That is the concept of us being filled with the Holy Spirit. We ask for things, 
And God already has a time appointed for that breakthrough. Keep praying for it. It's not bad to pray for it. Right? Jesus says, knocking, keep knocking. And the fervent prayers of a righteous man avail much. If you feel like your prayers aren't availing, the fervent prayers of a righteous man avail much. Righteousness is a byproduct of being with Jesus. It means the fervent prayers of a saved person avails. And so typically if you're praying and praying and praying and you're not seeing breakthrough, the issue isn't that you're not righteous. It's that you're not praying enough. Your prayer isn't fervent enough, meaning repetition with passion. I really believe God's going to move. If your prayers aren't availing, pray more. That is actually the answer Jesus gives us. Pray till you believe it. A man of God one time told me, well, he told a room of us, but I took it really personally. Um, He told me prayer doesn't change the heart of God. It lines my heart with God's. And so if I'm still in anguish and I'm still toiling and I'm still suffering, I haven't prayed enough to the point where my heart beats in sync with his. Shout out to a new series coming out soon, Heartbeats, just not yet. And and the last point that I think is important is not just to know you're valuable. It's not just to know that you're filled with the Spirit and so therefore you get breakthrough. But to recognize, do you really believe God wants to bring you breakthrough? God takes pleasure in bringing you breakthrough. Consider that. That when you overcome your anxiety, God loves that. He finds pleasure in that. And for me, I think that's the most powerful takeaway I got from this experience when I was really studying this, is really recognizing he's not just doing it for me. He's doing it for him too. He enjoys it. And why do I keep going back to my favorite video game? I enjoy it. Why do I hang out with Thomas so much? I enjoy hanging out with him. Why do I keep making out with my wife? I enjoy it. Right? When you take pleasure in something, you return to it. Which is oftentimes where we fall into sins for so long. Because we're taking too much pleasure in it, so we keep returning to it. But God takes pleasure in our breakthrough. And so he keeps returning to giving us breakthrough. Why does he show up every Sunday and worship with us? Why is there always such a breakthrough recently? Why has it been weeks and weeks and weeks of no lull in the power of God in this place? Because he takes pleasure in it. And he takes pleasure in you. He has good pleasures in that breakthrough. That thing you're praying for. Can I be so bold as to say God is excited to answer that prayer? Provided it's in line with his will. God, give me that guy's wife. He's not going to take pleasure in giving that prayer to you, right? It's why you study your Bible and you know your God because it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Kingdom is ruled by a king and the laws are by him. And so it's his good pleasure to give me the kingdom. And so any breakthrough that I need that comes as a byproduct of the kingdom, he actually enjoys giving me that. So believe you're valuable. Believe that the answer has already been set aside for you. And believe that God takes pleasure in giving you those answers. And it will keep you present. Because you won't worry about tomorrow. Because those three facts keep your tomorrow secure. And it keeps you expectant. Because you believe God will do big things. Because those three facts guarantee 
big thing from God. Amen? I am going to pray out. And... I'll just let Aaron worship. But do yourselves a favor. Don't just run out of here right away. Go grab someone that you don't normally go to. And you don't have to. You just should. Um, Tell them maybe about some of the things you have anxiety about. Some of the things that maybe you're, some depressions maybe that you have. And let them pray with you. And believe together that these two people praying are valuable. And the two of us that are praying together, we have a guaranteed set-aside breakthrough. The people praying together, God takes pleasure in us praying together. And he will be in the midst of and a part of that prayer. And if you want to see those breakthroughs, let's talk about it. I think, I think the modern day church has radically lost the perspective on the importance of just talking about God together. I think it is some of the biggest breakthroughs I've ever had have not been in church buildings, but have been in living rooms with Christians who really believe God was going to move on my life. And some of my best breakthroughs and my best stories and the best moments of my life came with just me and my wife in the living room or just me and Thomas at the house. One of the greatest moments of my life as a pastor was when Haas was first coming to our church, Jonathan Haas. And there was a few of us leaders that were really believing in breakthrough for his life and went to a church service. And he was praying for something and he didn't, he didn't get what he was praying for. And there were four of us that went home because we all lived together at the time. And Haas actually came over. And we looked at him and we just started praying together and we started worshiping. And what he didn't get in the church service, he got in our living room. In that moment, it didn't come later. It came in the middle of a prayer circle in our living room. Because we didn't just believe God was going to move in a church service. We looked at him and said, no, you're going to get this because I know my God. And so we stayed and we got more fervent about the situation and God began to move. There is a breakthrough when people get together and expect and believe and are present together. So let's do that now. I mean, maybe, heck, there's something I've been really wanting to do, but we just haven't really had the time to start it. Maybe get in groups of like four and five and just talk about today's message and the area of it that you needed. Let's make a, little, make a bunch of many small groups and let's just pray together. Uh, but dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person in this room. God, I pray that whatever breakthrough they need, whatever you believe for them, God, whatever best glorifies you in their lives, God, I pray that would come to pass. I pray there would be a faith for it, a present-mindedness for it, God, a lack of fear, but a plethora of expectation in each one of our hearts, God, that we believe that you are loving, that you are good, and that you are just, and that most importantly, God, that we would love you above all else. I pray every person in this room who doesn't know you, but who wants to know you like that, Father God. Maybe they've just never gone to that place with you. Maybe they've backslidden, or maybe they've never known you in the first place, God. And I pray that those people would also come into the understanding of who you are today in this place, God. And in Jesus' name I say, amen.